Well, hey guys, and welcome to The Messy Table, an ordinary space for us to pause and remember that God's actually at work in our mess. My name is Jen Jewell, and I have the honor of hosting this faith-fueled conversation-style podcast, which unleashes a brand new episode into your speakers, your earbuds, every other Tuesday. We are partnered with the women of my church, Life Church, where we're also just super passionate about locking arms with women from all over the Capital C Church. So on this podcast, you will find all kinds of brave women from all kinds of different places with all kinds of unique stories bound together by hope. Well, as I already mentioned, we are constantly reminding ourselves that God's at work in this mess. It's basically the overarching theme of the entire Bible merging into our modern lives as well. And man, I am just so thankful for it because as we all know, there's plenty of mess happening all around us both publicly and behind closed doors. But the table, it's kind of a sanctuary where we can gather, where we can literally take off our masks, where we can take a much needed breath of truth and encouragement, where we can talk about the great stuff and yes, the hard stuff. You know, one of the messiest tables of all set the stage for that final meal over 2000 years ago, when Jesus himself on the cusp of suffering huddled around a table with his closest friends, warning them some really tough stuff was about to go down, but also that God wasn't done, that what would feel like death would actually unlock life, that He was doing something new, something redemptive, something they couldn't even fathom, and that eventually goodness would come. Y'all, right now we are collectively navigating this pandemic, the drama-filled election, and the inevitable chaos that is 2020. If there's ever a time that we are searching for certainty, it's now. But you know what? God never abandons anyone who calls on His name, ever. He is not unsteady. He is not incapable. He is not shaken. He is willing and available and present right now to anyone who seeks His face. So if I can be honest, today's episode almost didn't happen. My amazing guest today, my sweet friend Shelly Miller, is a wife and mom and author, an American expat living in London. She writes meaningful words and takes beautiful pictures. But she received some really devastating news just within these last few weeks. I will let her tell you all about it, but I just wanted to preface this conversation by letting you know, not just in the past, but in the present. She's not backing down. She's facing uncertainty with truth and grace, and she is clinging to Jesus with everything she's got. Guys, this conversation is tender and raw and dear to my heart. So grab your coffee, pull up a chair, and join me for a chat with Shelly. Well, hello, friend. Hello, Jen. It's so fun to see you and hear you. (laughs) I know. Good morning from the States. It's like 9 a.m. here and what, mid-afternoon there in London? It's about 3 o'clock in the afternoon in London, and the sun is shining, which is glorious. Uh, You know, it's raining here, so we flipped. There you go. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, before we dig in, I know everyone wants to know who they're hearing from. So tell us a little bit about you, kind of who you are and what makes you tick. Yeah. So some of the things that might be connections for people. Well, there's a few things. I was born in the Midwest. I was actually born in St. Louis, Hmm. raised in Oklahoma. I've moved nine times after I got married, met my husband in Phoenix, Arizona, had my two children there. So I have two now adult children, 24 is my oldest, Marielle, and my son is 21. So we're officially adults now. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I'm a mom. I am an ENFP. 
So yeah, I'm definitely all about relationships. They trump everything. I tend to pick movies that are centered around relationships. So one of my favorite movies is The Holiday. Yes. Oh, that's a good one. Isn't that a good one? I tend to watch that over and over again. so good. We should do that. Yeah. Switch. Yeah. And Sabrina. Mm. Sabrina is another one of my favorites that I watch. The older version or the newer version? Which the version? Newer. Harrison Ford? Yes. Harrison Ford version. I that love that one. one. Yeah. I've been in ministry for a long time, I guess 30 years. I've been married 30 years. Congrats. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it does feel like a big deal, doesn't it? 30 years. It's a really big deal. It is a big deal. When I say it, I think, oh, am I already that old? I can't believe that much time is <laughs> No, you're still young. Past. Uh, <laughs> but we, uh, yeah, we started out as my husband was a student. We were working, you know, just restaurant jobs, trying to make ends meet. And, um, yeah, we ended up being in youth with a mission for a while, served there for a few years. Uh, we're trained by Floyd McClung, who was at that time the international director. And then uh, my husband became the pastor of a mega church in Phoenix, and I was head of women's ministries. So really enjoyed. Um, I've always enjoyed hospitality, gathering women, um, doing retreats. Uh, don't always have to be the upfront person, but I just love anything to do with building friendships and relationships and getting to know people. I can totally see it. Yeah. I guess that's a little bit about me. I've been writing. Well, actually, my writing career started when I was uh, asked to be the primary feature writer for the Anglican Mission in America. It's a church planning movement that my husband led years ago. And so I loved it because it was very relational. I got to talk to people all over the U.S. about things that they were doing to expand the kingdom and write stories about that. Mm. But, you know, before that, I have a degree in marketing, but I never wrote anything. Uh, I never imagined being a writer. Mm. But that kind of led to blogging and writing from passion. Started that in 2011. And uh, kind of the rest is history. So some of my readers introduced me to agents who contacted me, thought it was a joke <laughs> about writing a book. And now I'm on my second traditionally published yeah. book. Yeah. So first book. First traditionally published book with Bethany House in 2016 is Rhythms of Breast, Finding the Spirit of Sabbath in a Busy World. And then you have a new one that I can't wait to talk about here in just a little bit, Searching for Certainty, which 2020 in general, yes, we could all use that. And then I know you have a lot kind of going on in your own life that we'll get to. But you've raised two kids to adulthood. That's a really big deal. My kids are 11 and 8, and every day is a big deal. And so do you have any any words of wisdom that we need to know? Gosh, I think the first thing that comes to mind is don't major on the minor things. Mm. I used to worry way too much about, you know, my kids' friendships. Were they in enough activities? And I look back now and I just, at some point I realized, you know what? We're all uniquely created. Mm -hmm. And so we don't, none of us fit into boxes. But I think as parents, we look for sort of markers, um, those sort of markers that are common to our humanity, like playing sports mm-hmm. or winning awards or whatever that might be, as sort of a check mark. Okay, we did that. They're okay now. And I realized that actually a lot of the things that I was looking for as markers of sort of approval of, you know, I'm doing a good job as a parent right. were so ridiculous and really 
meaningless now when I look back. For instance, my son never had an interest in playing sports. He always got upset when the coach would yell, you know, at the kids. Aww. He wasn't yelling, but in his mind, it felt like he was being yelled at. I get that. Yeah. Yes. I don't like to be yelled at either. Yeah. So we were afraid he was going to miss out on that kind of team experience and yeah. the different values you learn from being on a team that can be really um, crucial for kids at those ages, but he just never did. And guess what? He's fine. <laughs> He's the president of the American football team at Lancaster University in England. I mean, what? That's hilarious. <laughs> you know, it just cracks me up. When he said he wanted to play football after never playing sports growing up, he wanted to play football in college. I just, of course, fear struck my heart. First thing I envisioned was he's going to be in a cast. <laughs> he's going to get hurt. Right. How did he do that after never playing sports? Well, they don't have the same expectations in the UK as they do in the US. Okay. In the UK, do they call it football? Yeah, it's American football. Okay. So football, football would be right. soccer, soccer in the US. That's what yeah. I was wondering. Yeah. Okay. Well, fun story. We have an especially dreamy way in which we met uh, a little over two years ago. We were actually both invited to this amazing retreat in Italy yes. put on by the fabulous Jenny Burke. So we got to spend what, nine, 10 days just tromping around through Florence yeah. and Italy and museums, gardens, adorable little hilltop villages. And it's funny, you were talking about that you're kind of a connector and just love people. And so I've actually gotten to experience that. And I feel like a friendship is kind of expedited when you spend that much meaningful, concentrated time together. Absolutely. And so I feel like we're just yeah. longtime friends. Yes, absolutely. Well, we have the Oklahoma connection, which I absolutely love. Yeah. And to be connected um, in such a deep, meaningful way, because it was a spiritual uh, retreat where we were going really deep, not too much surface. And so that was helpful too. Yeah. You just dive right in. Yeah. It was fabulous. We had some really amazing walks and conversations, didn't oh, we? We really did. Yes. The first time I saw you was actually when I got there, you were sitting on the steps of our villa in Florence and you had your camera because you take the most amazing pictures and you just had the warmest smile. It was the best greeting. And that's how I think of you. Whenever I think of you over in London, I think of your big smile and just this warmth that you really bring to any conversation and any relationship, whether you've known someone for two seconds or two years. Yeah. It was awesome. Thank you. I appreciate it. It was definitely a marker in time that was really significant uh, for me personally and in many ways. So yeah, and I actually remember that moment when you arrived and you were, I have a picture of you carrying your suitcase up, yes. up the stairs. Yeah. Uh, well, we knew you had a book coming out in October and earlier this year, we talked about you coming on the podcast, sharing all of your learned wisdom throughout the years and about this book. And while we are going to get to that and get to the things you've learned, you've recently been given some pretty messy, unexpected news and you've been open about it, but this is happening in real time. Yeah. And so if you're willing, would you kind of catch us up on what's going on in your world? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Uh, well, the book I was writing over the past year is called Searching for Certainty, Finding God in the Disruptions of Life. Wow. And I can't think of a more, <laughs> mm. our world is so disrupted mm -hmm. right now. You know, in March, we entered lockdown. 
the world was completely disoriented by a pandemic, but I also was diagnosed with a large sarcoma tumor in my abdomen. I had been, you know, years trying to figure out what it was that all these symptoms were pointing to and Mm. and doctors just couldn't figure it out until I got a CT and then it was obvious. What were your symptoms leading up to it? Well, I, they were strange. I mean, just inflammation, um, you know, swelling in my legs, um, pain in different places, you know, some of it could have been hormonal. It was just one of those things that there wasn't anything really mm-hmm. decisive, which is common with sarcoma. People can live with sarcoma for 10 years before it's found, which is wow. unbelievable. It's a very slow growing cell and um, found in that CT that I had blood clots in both legs and a pulmonary embolism. I was like a walking time bomb and didn't even know it. Mm. So walking miles, you know, around Notting Hill and coming home and going, I don't know why, but my left leg is, <laughs> is swelling up. And I realized I had all this going on in my body. So I was hospitalized immediately upon that CT. So I wasn't prepared to stay in the hospital, hospitalized immediately. And then later, um, was scheduled for surgery on May 6th to remove the tumor. And along with that, I lost a kidney. I lost part of my vena cava, which uh, was disrupting the blood flow going from my feet to my head, which was why my, I was having so many blood clots and my leg was swelling. And then um, part of my colon was removed and resected. And I ended up having a 14 inch um, incision you know, right through my belly button, all the way down, um, 63 staples Mm. was in the hospital for about a week and then came home. And I was so happy. I had, um, just a lot of PTSD being in the hospital, just hearing people in pain and, um, just the smells of people vomiting and just the things that happen Mm. and, you know, alone because here we are in COVID and you have nurses that can't even comfort you, you know, are afraid. Uh to touch you. So it was your husband be in there with you. No, no, he could never visit me in the hospital, which was hard for him. Hard for me. Wow. Yeah, it was hard. So I was really happy to be home. Thank goodness for technology. At least you guys could FaceTime. Yes, exactly. Yes. I had my phone was with me at all times. So I was home for about 24 hours and then began bleeding internally from the colon where it was resected, um, hit a blood vessel and I passed out in the bathroom. My husband thought I was dead and was ambulanced back to the hospital and had to have three blood infusions and um, another week in the hospital, unfortunately. But I've been healing really well. Mm. Um, They say it can take anywhere from three to six months and then really up to two years for my blood flow to correct itself. Um, So it's a slow process, and but I've been feeling really good. But unfortunately, I had my first post-op CT and they just found that the sarcoma has spread to five places in my lungs and it's inoperable and they've given me about a year to live, Mm. Um, which is the most awful, you know, thing to hear. It was so surreal. I just so surreal sat there alone and again, uh, because I had no idea I was going to get that kind of information right so soon after my surgery. Um, It's common to have recurrence of sarcoma and um, a high number of patients, high percentage of patients have a recurrence, but I was thinking maybe down the line. So, um, so obviously my whole life has been reoriented. Yeah. Yeah. I've been searching for certainty. 
Um, <laughs> and you wrote this book long before you knew that any of this was going to happen. I did. Not the pandemic, not cancer, no. not this awful prognosis. Yeah. And, you know, I had all of this on my mind for a couple of years and wrote two book proposals that were passed over. And I just felt like, gosh, I just can't get it right. And now looking back, of course, hindsight is always twenty twenty. I realize it was the timing. It was God's timing. And it just seems like the right time. It's absolutely the right time to be releasing a book on uncertainty and how we can find certainty amidst it. And I went through the editing process post-surgery. And after the anesthesia wore off, and I could actually think um, coherently. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was worried that as I reread the manuscript, that it would not be relevant, that it wouldn't be practical enough. Mm. You know, sometimes uh, I know I've read authors that are quite young, maybe in their 20s or early 30s that are writing about things that, you know, come with longevity and endurance and perseverance over a long time. It doesn't resonate the same as someone who's lived a while. Mm. And I was concerned about that the same way with this book, you know, would my experiences translate as kind of Oh, small in comparison to other people who have really suffered. And as I read it, you know, my own words ministered to me and I, and I was so grateful Mm. to reread it and realize, okay, I don't have to do a major rewrite. This is going to be practical and relevant. I'm practicing a lot of things that I write about um, now in my life to find peace. Mm -hmm. Did you feel like the Holy Spirit was ministering to you? through you yes, in the words that you had written. Yes, which is such a bizarre feeling to read your own. It's like an outer body experience. You're reading your own words and they feel like someone else wrote them. And in a way, you know, the Holy Spirit wrote those words Mm. through me. So my prayer has always been that as readers read those words, that they would be alive and relevant Mm. and healing and create wholeness. And that's what happened for me. Yeah. And can we just have a side note for what you were talking about with the book proposal and the book and God's timing? Because <laughs> someone needs to hear that. It's like sometimes you feel called towards something and you take those steps and then you get a closed door and you think, man, I guess I'm just off or I can't hear God ride yes. or whatever. Yes. But it's like God is working truly. We just don't always realize his perfect timing. Yes. And I think that one of the things I realized when I wrote Rhythms of Rest and we were going through a really hard process of of moving to London and living here permanently is that at one point I sense the Lord saying, you know, this move isn't just about you. There are a lot of other people involved. It's kind of like a chess game. There's a lot of pieces, a lot of moving pieces, and I care about all of them. That's good. You know, sometimes we're just looking at our own little insular world thinking, why isn't this happening for me? Sure. Well, whatever it is you're doing is going to affect other people. Mm -hmm. And so in God's great timing, you know, right now this book is going to help people who are anxious, who are weary who are struggling with doubt and disappointment and sadness and hardship. And it's going to resonate in a way now that it wouldn't have yeah. um, a year like, or two man, ago. She is there right now. She yeah. hasn't just been there. She's there. So it wasn't just for me. It was for everybody else, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but what would you say is your greatest fear in all this? And then 
I guess, how would you preach to yourself or preach to someone else if you were trying to encourage them in that way? Yeah. Well, I think of um, when I first got that prognosis, I felt like all the life was just completely sucked out of me. Like I was a leaf um, that had fallen, Mm. you know, dead leaf that was being blown by the wind. And I... I was reading in the Psalms when David says, the terror of death has fallen upon me. And I thought that's exactly the way I feel. Mm. I feel terrified of suffering. I feel terrified about, you know, what this is going to mean for my future, of course, and the future for my kids and my husband. And um, there is grief in it. Of course, there is loss of what, could be and what I'll never get to experience again. I think my biggest thing is to pray away fear. Mm-hmm. I just don't want to get like right now I'm in a good place, but just that the peace and the joy mm-hmm. that I feel now will sustain me through whatever it is to come. And that just right now, I, I really like if I were to die tomorrow, I don't feel like I'd have any regrets, but I, I want to make the most of whatever time I have left. So, you know, whatever conversations I need to have with my kids, that those will just happen and that their hearts will be open and receptive. Mm -hmm. And yeah, pray for your kids for sure. That's gotta be, I mean, obviously God loves them more than like, I think you said that at some point. Yes. God loves them more than than you do, but I'll definitely be praying for them because that's what I would probably worry about the most. It is like when I think about them, I always want to start crying. Yeah. Yeah. I know that, you know, I said to H early on, I said, I just have had to surrender you and the kids because I am not in control of your future. Mm -hmm. God is. So whatever, you know, happens to me, of course, is going to affect them, but they're still going to go on and fulfill whatever it is God's calling them to do. And it's, you know, it's just, it's hard. Um, But also I just keep thinking of Moses in the promised land. Like, you know, I might not be able to actually go into the promised land. Like I might not actually get to see my kids have babies and grow old and those things. But in the future, we'll be together with Jesus. (laughs) Yeah. Even when we can't process it or believe it and it feels surreal, it's true. Yeah, yeah. But um, what I would say to someone is what I say to myself. God numbers our days and he knows. No, in the same way he's working all the moving pieces together for our good, our days are numbered in the same way. God is always working all things together for the good. And his modus operandi for us is always love. Mm and kindness, and care, and comfort, and generosity, and abundance, and concern. And I think when we enter situations that are uncertain, we feel God is silent, Mm. that he's changed his mind. This is how it feels, like he's left, like he doesn't care. And that couldn't be further from the truth. There's just so much that goes on in the heavenly world that we cannot see. And if we did, it might kill us. Yeah. Right. I don't know that we could handle it. Exactly. It makes me think of 
Romans 8, 18, that says what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory that he'll reveal to us later. Yes. And nothing is a pretty strong word. We're not even going to think about it compared to the glory. But right now it feels so heavy and it is heavy. And I think that Jesus totally enters into that and cares and weeps with us and hurts with us. But he also knows the end. Yeah. You know, uh, searching for certainty is based on the Exodus story. I've always been really just, I could see myself in Moses. I doubted uh, myself so much like he did right. when God yeah. chose him to leave the Israelites out. Lord, I am not enough. How can you call me? Yeah. Yes. From beginning to end, I mean, I was born in a really difficult situation. He was born in a very tumultuous time in our history. And I, yeah, I just, I identify so much with the journey uh, through the wilderness. And it just seems like every time they face something uncertain was when it tripped everybody up. As soon as there was uncertainty, we immediately look to our circumstances to define our future or to define our emotions or to define, you know, who we are as people. And when I read the Exodus story, I remember I got to recently, I got to the end where they're almost at the promised land and Moses slaps that rock instead of doing it the way that God asked him to do. And Mm -hmm. and God says, okay, you're not going to go into the promised land now. And, you know, for me, I just wept when I read that because I thought, oh, he was so faithful, Mm -hmm. went through such hardship and was so faithful over and over and over again. And then God took that away from him. But actually what happens? He shows up later and and he's standing with God face to face. Mm, I'm sure he didn't care a bit about what he had missed (laughs) in the promised land. Mm-hmm. because he was face to face with Jesus and how comforting that is, you know, however many years that might've been later that he appeared face to face on the mountain with Jesus. Yeah. So that's our hope too, is, you know, the things we look to the concrete sort of tangible circumstantial things that we look to, mm-hmm. to define us are, um, are not the point. The point is following God following God's back and being faithful to know that he has our back Mm -hmm. and where he's leading us is good. And he is protecting us, even if on this earth, it doesn't look like what people would maybe define as protection. Yes, exactly. Because we're all eventually, we're going to have the same fate, right? Like that's why this matters so deeply. Obviously, we have been and will continue to be praying for a miracle and absolutely trust that God can do that if that's what he wants. But he also sees the much bigger picture and knows what's best. And so thank you. I appreciate it. How is your mindset different today than it was before your cancer prognosis? Well, it obviously brings to the forefront the things that are really important, as you can imagine. Mm. Um, And it's not, you know, somebody asked me, is there somewhere you want to go that you've never been? Because I'll make that happen for you if you want to take a trip or something. I said, you know, actually, it's not so much places. It's people that Mm. matter to me. I want there's people that I want to spend time with. So my daughter is going to arrive on the 20th and she'll be here for a few weeks. And then I have some really dear close friends that are coming um, as well. And we're making sure everything's, you know, COVID safe and all those things, but it's actually um, people 
that matter the most. You know, I was thinking about that scripture verse in Exodus 14 that says, you need only to be still and I will fight for you. Mm. And I think um, when life is uncertain for us, we want to do something, don't we? Mm -hmm. To make ourselves feel better. And over and over again, God says, be still and know that I'm God. So I'm spending a lot of time, which um, maybe in the past I would have equated with wasting time or not using my time well, but I'm spending a lot of time in silence and solitude, um, listening to God and meditating on the Psalms, praying into the Psalms through adoration. And when I do that, something sort of shifts in my heart and mind Mm. from fear to faith and his fatherhood for me. Wow. It seems like it's the ultimate test of relinquishing control, which I have a hard time with. And I know so many people do. Yeah. And I'm not immune from that at all. This has come through years of practice. So I started the Sabbath Society in 2013, and that was born out of deep loneliness. We were living in uh, South Carolina in a beautiful coastal community called Polly's Island. And um, I felt so lonely there. You know, you can live in a place where people speak the same language and even look like you, but your view of the world is so different that it makes you feel other than. So, you know, loneliness was just um, pervasive in my life. And I was crying out to the Lord one day on a just simple, you know, walk with my dog. And I felt like his answer was Sabbath. Well, it was kind of out of the blue. I hadn't been studying Sabbath or reading anything about Sabbath. So I began investigating what um, God's heart is when he created the Sabbath. Mm. You know, what is the seventh day? Why is it a commandment? Invited some blog, um, some my blog subscribers to join me and just kind of exploring what it means. And over time that the Sabbath Society has grown, I've been writing now for seven years, a weekly email on Fridays with practical sort of just, you know, storytelling and It's like a personal letter I'm writing to you Hmm. about what I'm doing to find rest. Uh, We're going through Psalm 23 right now. And all that to say that through that process, I really believe now looking back, that has all been preparation for learning how to rest during this time of my life. Because, you know, in the past, uh, recovery from surgery, meaning months sort of before you're able to really do the kinds of things that you normally do like take walks or cook dinner or you know take a shower without help or just those things can be a real struggle you know I probably in the past felt really guilty about all the things that I couldn't do that my husband was having to do for me but I think over time letting things go giving myself permission to rest allowing you know dishes and things to sit in the sink for, you know, 24 hours and not feel like, you know, I was going to lose my mind. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's all been preparation for learning how to rest in God now, but it takes perseverance. It takes preparation. It takes intentionality over time. Yeah. I know you had mentioned something to me about kind of a seed for the book, Searching for Certainty was planted while you were writing the book, Rhythms of Rest. Yes. Yeah. Well, a couple things. First of all, as I said, uh, reading the Exodus story was always kind of a mirror for me. And I also noticed how uh, the mirror was that how the Israelites 
when they got into uncertain situations, they freaked out. Mm-hmm. And that was always me. Take I would, us back to Egypt, to slavery. Yes. Yeah. And I felt like the whining Israelites when we were going through the process of moving to London, there was a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of steps, and a lot of waiting. It took us about nine months. We thought we'd you know, be there in two. And uh, we had no income at the time. My son was uh, waiting. He missed his whole sophomore year of high school because he was just waiting. He was watching his friends, you know, get their driver's license and seeing them, you know, driving past our house and going to games while he was sitting at home waiting. We were afraid we were ruining his life. Hmm. And I just got to the point where I just, I realized I was just mad at God. And I realized that my need for certainty was an idol Hmm. replacing God. I actually wanted the certainty of a timeline of a salary, of an address, of, you know, all those things more than I wanted God. Mm-hmm. I can relate. That was a sobering uh, reality for me. And so as I kind of looked back on my life, uh, there were just a lot of stories where uncertainty actually was an opening for experiencing God in an intimate way. I didn't see it always, and I think that's common for all of us, that we look everywhere except for the face of God in our circumstances. But uncertainty, I realized, is an opportunity for God to reveal his great love for us. Mm. And if we can turn our hearts and our minds towards him during times of uncertainty, there is an abundance of good waiting for us there. That's good. Yeah. So, you know, worldly certainty isn't actually a right or promise that we've been given from God, but we can trust the one who truly does know everything and truly does hold the whole thing together, basically. Yes, yes. But it's interesting when you said that, that it can become a God, because I think sometimes I can even feel entitled to it. Like I should have assurance of what's coming. And the truth is I do, but not in the way that the world often tells us. Yes. And you know, what I find is um, it's just about surrender, really. It is really about surrendering how you think your life should look, which is really what the Israelites did when they were wandering in the wilderness. You know, they were demanding meat. They were demanding, you know, all kinds of comforts and things that they thought that they were entitled to. Mm-hmm. And actually what they had was the presence of God right in their midst. They had everything they needed and God always provided all the superfluous things like food, satiating appetites, you know, Mm -hmm. it says that they walked that whole time and their feet never got sore. Right. And their sandals never wore out. Yes. And so you think, well, they probably, they were just taking that for granted. And I think what are the things that I take for granted. So having cancer has been a reorientation towards the goodness and the faithfulness of God. Mm. You know, I get up and say, Lord, thank you that I can actually get myself out of bed. I can stand up and walk to the bathroom by myself. You know, I can just so many things I can see, I can hear, I can turn the tap on and water comes out. I have the ability to bend over and pick something up or walk to the store and carry it home. So many just basic things that we take for granted. So much 
to broaden it to this kind of whole pandemic situation. I think there's so many things that we've realized that we take for granted, right? Like my kids going to school or yes. being able to travel or go to work and church or all the social gatherings that we're involved in, you know, to go and to gather and worship as a body of Christ. And I actually felt like God spoke to my heart the other day, a light bulb went off and I just thought I have not gone without. Yes. And it's kind of like the Israelites, like you're saying, their sandals didn't even wear out. They were given food in a unique way. They were given water from a rock. They were given manna on the ground, even though things have been annoying, (laughs) right? Yeah. And certain things have been definitely more difficult. I still have not gone without, like God has provided. Yes. Yes. And that's the point is, you know, I think when we get used to a comfortable lifestyle, Mm -hmm. we slip into entitlement when actually all those things that we've been experiencing are blessings and gifts from God's heart to us. Yeah, And I think when uncertainty happens, I see it differently now. It's an opportunity to reorient our hearts and our minds back towards Christ, mm-hmm. to count things, to be grateful for the things that he has done up to this point. You know, we can remember when over and over again in the past when he's been faithful, at times when we, you know, felt on our last nerve or, you know, doubt was looming over us and how God was always at work on our behalf. You bring up really important spiritual practice, which is remembering. I mean, how many times in scripture are we told to remember the faithfulness of God? And I'm sure that that's something that you're having to do a lot right now or getting to do, I should say, a lot. Yes, it is. It's interesting. So in every chapter of Searching for Certainty, I share a different spiritual practice that will help people just practically find peace. And one of those uh, is chapter centered on remembering. And I, you know, I tell a lot of stories from my childhood about, you know, my parents were divorced when I was three. Uh, My mother got pregnant before they were married. Um, So my, my life started out pretty uncertain from the very beginning. I was kind of an adult before I um, entered the age of adulthood. I was always very responsible for myself from a very early age. So always worked myself, put myself through school, you know, just all those things, your own bank account, teaching yourself how to drive and just all the things that you think of that are part of adulthood. And as I looked back, I realized, even though it was difficult at the time, God was always so kind to me, always providing uh, when I need, I can remember being in college one time and I was completely on my own, putting myself through college and really did not even have enough money to buy food. And I went to church before I went to work that day. It was a Sunday and I was pretty desperate and went on my own, sat on the end and had to leave early for work. And a, the woman, some stranger sitting next next to me, just pulled my coat back down and made me sit back down. And I was like, taken aback. And she said, Oh, the Lord wanted me to give you this to you. And she put a big wad of money Mm. in my hand. And it was exactly what I needed, you know, to pay a couple bills and buy groceries. And that's just one example of God's faithfulness over time. So there is something really precious about remembering. I've been watching, binge watching. uh, We went through the whole series of Friday Night Lights. Somehow I missed that when it came (laughs) out originally. And I, um, 
watching that has just took me right back to those years of high school football and all those friendships. And uh, that time of my life was actually really a difficult time. My mother was raising me on her own and we were struggling to pay bills. And I can remember the pastor coming to our house with bags of groceries and promising to turn the heat on. And so there is something really special about remembering, not staying stuck there, because then that becomes nostalgia and nostalgia just keeps us stuck in the same place. But remembering where God's been faithful is a helpful practice. Mm. So I was just reading in Revelation, you know, where Jesus is basically talking to the churches through John and saying, here's something that you're doing well, and here's something that you really need to work on. But anyway, the words that really stood out to me were patient endurance. And it comes up a couple times in the chapter to have patient endurance. And I was just like, man, do we ever need that word right now? I need that word. And then, of course, just hearing your story and what you're going through, it's like, patient endurance till the end. Like that's really a part of our call, obviously, other than telling people about Jesus and and pointing people to him, but just for ourselves to patiently endure and to follow him, you know, over and over and over. Yes. There's never a time that we stop doing that. Yeah. So that's what the uncertainty has done, right? I always think of it like we've been focusing over here and the uncertainty kind of just turns our head a bit to focus on Christ and to remember what is really important. I think it's just so easy in life. You know, that's why I believe in the commandments. The fourth commandment is remember the Sabbath, remember to rest. Mm, Yeah. I think because God knows how prone we are (laughs) to forget that simple thing to rest. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think uncertainty does to us is it helps us to remember, okay, what's really important. I'm hearing, you know, COVID patients on the news here saying, I realize I want to spend more time with my family. What's really important is I've been working, you know, double shifts. I'm rarely home seeing my kids and I'm going to change that now. So if, you know, I think in all the hard, bad things that are happening, there is redemption that's happening as well. That's good. Yeah. All right. Well, everyone needs to order your book. I can't wait. I'm so excited. Um, What else do we need to know about it? Well, one of the things that might be interesting to people is, you know, I've been writing on a blog since 2011 and photography has always been just almost as important as the writing. So all my readers are used to my photographs and was so excited when they said that they would include photographs in this book. So they're black and white, but I'm really excited to to share those. And I use photography terminology for spiritual metaphor. So there's going to be, there's a creative side to it. I dedicate a whole chapter on beauty. And so one of the things we're going to do in the back of the book for those people who, you know, all of us have a phone in our hands at all times. So you don't have to be, you know, a professional photographer to join this, but at the back of the book, there's a photography prompt associated with each one of the chapters. Oh, and we're going to do sort of a fun photo challenge uh, for people who are on Instagram. And every chapter is about a different, you know, picking up that photography theme. And we'll all find each other through a community hashtag searching for certainty. And then there'll be giveaways associated with that. So fun. 
I know you say you're not a professional photographer, but your pictures are gorgeous. And so just everybody go follow her on Instagram too, because her pictures are stunning. Her words are beautiful. And you truly are just such a light. Like I am grateful that I've gotten to experience that in person. And then also just seeing your face through the screen and I just adore you. So I want to know, and everyone wants to know, do you have any favorite resources that you just love? And you're like, ah, I need to tell you about this so that you can go and love it too. Yeah. Well, right now, one of the things I'm doing is switching up. Um, I, I've been reading the Bible online for a long time, and I decided I wanted to go to that, you know, Bible that I could hold in my hands. And I decided to switch versions. So I just got a brand new Bible, the Passion Translation. Right now it's New Testament, Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Songs. And I have just been meditating on the Psalms, you know, one by one line by line, and I'm really loving that version. Another thing I recommend to people right now is a little book um, that I picked up called Praying Through the Psalms, Mm -hmm. and it's associated with Anglican prayer beads, which I know that might sound weird to people who aren't used to, you know, those kinds of things, but it's actually just a way to kind of stay focused on the verses. But this little book kind of takes psalms and condenses them down to prayers and, you know, praying into the Psalms through your unique circumstances really personalizes Mm -hmm. um, the Psalms in a way that is um, comforting. Yeah. I find, you know, when I'm anxious or fearful, meditating on the Psalms through that book is really helpful in finding peace again. So I love that. That's good. Um, I'm trying to think I... So helpful. Yeah. Because you're in it. You're in it right now. So hearing like, yes, what is bringing you comfort? That's really helpful. Yeah. Poetry is a big thing, too. So the Psalms really are, as the Passion Translation says, poetry on fire. And I used to be afraid of, of poetry. And I just recently wrote an ebook, and it's all poems that I'm giving away uh, to my launch team. But that'll be available to my subscribers at some point. But sitting with poetry, and I do that on the weekends. I start my day by reading poems. There's something about poetry that kind of helps you just get down to the brass tacks of things. Um, And one of my favorites is called This Day by Wendell Berry. Mm. And it's all poems he's written on Sabbath. So they're all sort of restful, very agrarian kinds of poetry that take you to a beautiful place in the country. Um, And I love his He's one of my favorite writers for novels as well. I just read Hannah Coulter, which is one of the most meaningful novels I've ever read, period. I found myself wanting to underline big parts of it and actually reread it, That which doesn't usually happen when you read a novel. But it's a really meaningful, beautifully uh, written book hmm. that I highly recommend. And then if there's any Anglophiles around, um, <laughs> there's something, you know, we need good stories right now, don't we, to sort of escape some of the weariness mm-hmm. and the heaviness that we're feeling. Yeah. And Rosamond Pilcher is um, an English writer who's written quite a few books, but um, I just read her Shell Seekers. It's lovely. All set in the Cotswolds of England. Ah, and you go there and take beautiful pictures. I do go there. Yeah, if you go to my website, almost all the pictures on there now are taken somewhere in the Cotswolds. It's adorable. It's just darling. Thank you. Yes, it is. It's so charming. 
It you is. can't help but take a million pictures. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It reminds me actually when we were walking through Pienza in Italy, yes. which is a little hilltop village. And I mean, everything is little bicycles and window boxes and yes. the church bells are chiming over this beautiful countryside and you have the cypress trees. And anyway, it makes me think of that. Yes. And, you know, I think right now more than ever, we need beauty mm. in our lives you know, because beauty is created by God. It's just another way that we find him, Mm -hmm. you know, the beautiful one in our, in landscapes and being outside in nature. It just, it's all part of, I think that soul nourishment that we need right now. Yeah. A way that he draws us to himself. Yes. So why do you think that we avoid rest or are so scared of it? I think there's a lot of guilt associated with rest. Um, I start out Rhythms of Rest, my first book, quoting my mother-in-law who says, I don't do guilt. Mm. Um, She's known for saying that quite often. And I think, um, you know, we feel guilty when things aren't finished, when Mm -hmm. we're not 100% done with something. Mm -hmm. And we need to go back to God as our sort of standard. And he rested on the seventh day. Why? Because he was finished 100% Mm. with Mm. everything he would ever create, ever. No, no. He uh, rested because he looked back on what he had created and saw that it was good. And that's really what the Sabbath day is for us. It's a time to kind of take our hands off, look back over the week and see where God's been afoot in our lives. And when we do that, um, it creates sort of a mindfulness and a contentedness in our hearts. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're doing life flowing from a place of rest instead of working so that we can rest. Yes, totally exactly. Yeah. No, that's so crucial. Well, I think it's interesting, too, that this isn't a modern concept, which is why God put this in at the very beginning, because he knew how hard it would be. And I remember when I was younger thinking, this is the, I don't want to say dumb commandment, but like, this is crazy. Like, okay, I'll rest. I'll play. That sounds great. That's not hard. But then as you get older, <laughs> it is really hard to stop. Yeah. Well, you know, I I found out one of the most interesting things, and it seems so simple that I stumbled upon when I was writing Rhythms of Rest, was the first time God ever called anything holy was when he named the day of rest holy. And often when we think of that word holy, it sounds like some spiritual standard, you know, we have to arrive to some spiritual hoop, you know, we have to jump through. And actually, holy just means different, Mm, set apart, other than, yeah, set apart. And so when you think about rest, it just needs to be um, set apart and different than the other days in your week. That's it. Mm -hmm. And so um, what are your favorite ways to Sabbath? Well, my favorite ways, what you'll find me doing most of the time is reading a novel and not a Christian sort of nonfiction book, because that causes me to take notes, to highlight, to I start thinking of blog posts that I can write. So I don't do that. That's something I do during the week, but I do read a novel for the sheer enjoyment and pleasure of it, of just a good story, hmm. or I let myself to watch a movie, you know, in the middle of the day, hmm. um, when I was feeling better, I was always taking walks with my camera to new places and just enjoying seeing the sights in a new part of London and having conversation with God on those walks, you know. And yeah, I just, I love being outdoors. So that would probably definitely be part of it. Gardening, but gardening, not the kind of gardening where you're redoing mm. a whole <laughs> plot of land 
but where you're just enjoying, you yeah. know, your flowers. Well, that kind of seems to be the difference doing versus enjoying on the Sabbath. Cause I know all kinds of people enjoy doing different things. Some people literally might want to just sit and rest and some people want to be out and doing something with their hands. But the difference is I'm doing this for production or I'm doing this to just enjoy it and to think about my creator. Exactly. I think we're um, over responsible often as Christians. And that kind of that flows into our relationship with God. It, it becomes sort of this thing we do instead of who we are. And so, you know, God created us to enjoy him, but he also created us to experience rest uniquely to the way that God created us. So in the same way we decorate our houses differently, you know, and some of us enjoy community and others of us enjoy being alone Um, the way we rest is really unique to who God created us to be. And that's really key for being able to rest well and for families to be able to rest well. Because sometimes we put upon our children the way that we want to rest, which isn't restful to them at all. Yeah, because sometimes trying to like rest with toddlers or babies or just children in general, you can feel like, well, how can anyone do this? I mean, it can be chaos. Yes. Yeah. Finding something that you can enjoy together. Yes. Or apart, yes. either way. Or apart, exactly. You just have to figure it out. Every family looks unique. I've seen a lot of families really shift their whole attention. Uh, and the kids look forward to Sabbath more than any other day mm. because it feels so different. And it's celebratory. Yeah. You know, that's um, Shabbat means to celebrate. Mm. And we don't often think about that in terms of rest. Sometimes on a rest day, we're thinking about what we can get done. What yeah. we can get accomplished. Or what we're not supposed to get done on that day. And that's yes. backwards. Yes. I know. So if we think about, okay, today's a day to celebrate. You know, how would that's you celebrate? Good. I like that. That's a mind shift for sure. Well, just talking to you today, and I know everyone hearing kind of your story and what you're going through, it's a mind shift for all of us. And I know I'm going to continue to be just begging and praying and asking the Lord for amazing things, but ultimately just trusting him. And so as we wrap up, I would love to know if you just have a final word of encouragement or just something you want us all to hear and know, whatever that is, we would love to hear it. Mm, I think that um, your uncertain season doesn't define your future. Mm. And the certainty of God's love is always steadfast and sure. Yes. So good. Thank you, friend. Thank you so much for having me. What a gift. Well, as always, everything mentioned, including the link to Shelly's new book, can be found in the conversation notes. And if you are not already subscribed to The Messy Table, you can do that for free with the click of a button via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher. You can also just sign up to join my personal email list and you'll get these episodes sent straight to your inbox. Also, it's our favorite thing to connect with you on Instagram. So be sure and find us at The Messy Table Podcast. And lastly, as Shelly so gracefully reminded us, it's God that numbers our days. But we also know that He hears us when we pray and He tells us to seek His face. So could we do something right now and just pray for Shelly together? Y'all, we have women joining us from America, Canada, New Zealand, England, South America, and beyond. So let's take this opportunity, united by the very same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, and let's just ask the Lord together. Oh, Father, you alone are God, and you alone put breath in our lungs. God, thank you for already going ahead of us, for going before Shelley, 
that you've held her life in your hands before it even began. But Father, we just ask in the name of Jesus for supernatural healing, that you will bind up this toxic cancer and just make it disappear. Lord, that you would extend her days, that you'd give her more time to impact your world. We know this life is short, but we also know you're in our midst, that you stand ready to work miracles and resurrect hearts. And so that's what we're asking for today. God, mostly we just beg for your peace, for your comfort, for your protection on Shelly's heart, and that you would just multiply her faith and her trust, that she would be able to stare uncertainty in the face because she is fixing her eyes on you. God, we do believe, help our unbelief, and we trust you, but help us to trust you even more. And we surrender, God, we surrender our will to yours. In Jesus' name, amen.